So if you would turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, uh, we spent the last couple weeks in Hebrews chapter 1, and so now we're in Hebrews chapter 2. I think we're going to read all of Hebrews chapter 2, but we're really only going to go through the first several verses. Um, it seems like in the planning that I've done so far is chapter 2 is going to turn out to be a lot like chapter 1, so we're going to go through the first few verses of chapter 2, and then we're going to go through the rest of the chapter next week in all likelihood. So just to give you an idea, but I think it's good to read all of chapter 2 um, just to get a, a sense of what's coming up and where he continues to be going beyond what we're talking about, particularly this morning. So Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 1, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to His will. Now it was not to angels that God had subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking, it has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise." And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So, in case you, you didn't catch it or you weren't here last week, I mentioned last week, as I fixed this chair, or leg, not so much wobble, um, last week we talked about, and we read through, if you look through the second half of chapter 1, there were a lot of quotations. There were actually seven quotations from the Old Testament. And so again, we have that in really the second half of chapter 2 again. And we talked a bit last week about just how important it is to really see and hear and understand the entire Bible for what it truly is. Not just taking the New Testament and saying, well, only the New Testament matters because that's what talks specifically about Christ. But as Christians, we have been given the whole Word of God to be able to know and to understand that this has been God's plan to send Christ since the foundation of the world. 
before the foundation of the world. This has always been God's plan and how he has fulfilled this plan in Christ. And so we've talked the last couple of weeks about who Christ is. And as we continue moving forward, we're going to see more and more of what Christ has done. And so what we get here in the beginning of chapter 2 is really a transition, a link between chapters 1 and chapters 2, a sort of, all right, now that we have come to understand what we have been talking about, let's think now about what this means for us. We have said this is who Christ is. Therefore, and that's how we start off in verse 1, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Therefore, I've said it before, and if you haven't heard it before, whenever you're reading Scripture, whenever you're reading through a book of the Bible, and all of a sudden, especially in the New Testament, and Paul's letters, oftentimes, there will be a therefore. And you should ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? It's there to be a link. It's there to be a, something has just been explained, and now what should be done because of that? We have been given a truth now, what does that truth mean for us? What should we do with that truth? And so, as we have looked at who Christ is, what does that truth mean? If we have, as we have looked at in the beginning, right? Or as we look back at chapter 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to us. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, Right? So long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God spoke. God has spoken. God has put His Word into the midst of the people of this world, particularly into His people. He has given us His Word. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. We've heard that Word. So this verse 1 is a, a link in the text. And we see... At the end of chapter 1, look at verse 14, when it's talking about angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? The message that the angels had to give, to deliver to the prophets so that they would be given to the fathers, so that it would be given to us. This message that the Christians have received, that the people who are being written this letter to, have received, that we have received now in 2019, as we have His Word, this message that oftentimes in the Old Testament was given by angels. It was given to us so that we would know and understand salvation. But the message of the angels was not the whole entire message. We saw in chapter 1 that Jesus was the message. Jesus was the point. Jesus was the entire buildup of what the angel's message was going to be. And so if the angel's message proved to be reliable, then we have to understand that what God's word really is. So I want to make a couple notes that, uh, of things that we believe as a church. And, and these are things that you'll find. You can look at our beliefs on our, on our website or I can give you a copy of them. Um, whenever I have a copy to give, <laughs> or you can look on the website right now um, if you want to. But one of the things I want to point out is one of the first things that we state about the Bible um, in our beliefs is that we believe, just as the angel's message was reliable, 
that the angel's message and that the Bible as a whole is authoritative. It brings with it an authority. It is normative. You may have not heard that word before. You might have seen it before. It means it informs proper living. It explains and expects obedience. God's word is authoritative. The message that the angels gave was authoritative. And we know that it was true because the things that it said, the things that they said were going to happen, the things that Moses said was going to happen, the things that they have said in the New Testament that Jesus said about himself that was going to happen, these things happened. And so we need to pay that much closer attention to what we have heard. When we were going through Isaiah, we, we went through Isaiah chapters 1 through 12. We didn't go through all the chapters, but we spent several weeks in Isaiah. And you can um, listen to those messages, or you can just read Isaiah chapters 1 through 12. And as we walked through Isaiah in the last few months together, Isaiah chapter 6 was one of those um, chapters that is just so important for us to be able to grasp and understand. And we see the calling of Isaiah and how he was chosen by God to go and do a work. And what he was chosen to go and do was to proclaim God's message. Now the problem was Isaiah was given this message and he was told from the start that the people were not going to listen. Um, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13 and we'll see where, where Isaiah chapter 6 is quoted in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 13, and this whole idea of, of hearing, that we must pay that much closer attention to what we have heard, I want us to, to see this idea. So Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 10, when Cole was reading earlier in Matthew chapter 21, there are a few parables, so maybe it's good that we're reading this as well. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. What's he talking about? What is Jesus referencing there? He's referencing himself. He's saying, all of these people thousands of years before, up until now, have waited and longed for the opportunity, the ability to see God's fulfillment of his plan from before the foundations of the world. And Jesus says, now you are in the presence of that fulfillment. I am the Son of God. I am God. And I am human. And I am here 
to offer you redemption, to bring salvation to people, to pay the penalty of sin. Something that nothing else could do to this point. And they have the opportunity, Jesus' disciples, as he talks to them here in Matthew chapter 13, as he talks to them, he says, you're able to see and to hear me, but not everyone is able to see and to hear it properly. There is this idea that has been going on all throughout Scripture where we have the opportunity to see and to hear, but that seeing and that hearing has to come to a point of understanding. True understanding leads to obedience. True understanding means that your life will be different. Your life will be changed. And so as we see and we hear, we ask that God would help us to understand. And as we look back at our text in in Hebrews 2, we see the importance of hearing. I just want to point out these few things in these first several verses. So there in verse 1, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. We have heard this message, so let's pay attention to it. In verse 2, For since the message declared by angels, so that idea of declaring, of speaking, of hearing, right? A message that is spoken is meant to be heard, right? And that message was declared by angels, right? And then verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. So this this new and this full message of salvation through Christ was delivered to us by Christ himself. This wasn't just a message that someone else said, this is going to happen, though that did happen in history past. It came, and when Jesus came, he said, this is what I am doing. This is who I am. This is what is happening right now in your midst. And so it was declared, this message, this full message of salvation through Jesus Christ was declared by himself. It was declared, it was spoken so that it would be heard. And then verse 3, continuing on, it was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. So it was attested to us. It was spoken to us by those who heard. And you see this pattern where... God sends someone to speak his word, and people are meant to receive that word, to hear that word, and to understand it. God's word is meant to be heard. And God's word then, upon hearing and truly, fully understanding it, is meant to be obeyed. In Romans 10, we went through this passage a few weeks ago, um, before we moved here into the Moose Family Center. But Romans chapter 10 has this idea of hearing. And so I want us to see it again because I think it's really important that we get this. Romans chapter 10, and I'm going to start reading in verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Do you see it there? You see this this pattern that's happening? You hear and you obey. You hear, you understand, and then that leads to obedience. Keep reading. 
they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. When I stand up here and I say that it's important that we hear God's word, I also have to say it's important that we know and understand that God's word is true, that God's word is reliable, that God's word is trustworthy, that God's word means something for our lives, that it's authoritative, that it's normative, that it means that we are to obey it. It's not there just for us to gather some information and say, oh great, now I know something else about this world. No, it's meant to change your life. It's meant to change my life. It's meant to give us a different perspective than what we naturally have, where we have a natural desire to serve ourselves and to hear what we want to hear and to do what we want to do. Instead, God's word speaks into that and it says, trust me, stop depending on yourself. And I think that's why as we get back to our text in Hebrews chapter 2, why he says explicitly, and he mentions in chapter 2, verse 2, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. And how do we know that it is reliable? What evidence do we have to know that it is true and trustworthy? That God's word, when presented to God's people, expects something from their lives that it is authoritative, that it brings an authority over them that says you are supposed to obey this word. Well, we can know that because God said that if you don't obey this word, bad things are going to happen. Um, Deuteronomy. Go ahead and turn there. It's, it's the fifth book of the Bible. There are a couple passages that I want to read from to help us to see how early on, in the beginning of the nation of Israel, how God declared clearly through Moses, as they were entering the promised land, as they were preparing to go to that land that God had prepared for them as a nation, as His people, to be a light to the other nations, that God put before them the opportunity to be blessed if they obeyed, and the clear expectation that if they did not obey, that there would be consequences. There were consequences to disobedience. So Deuteronomy, look in chapter 29. Deuteronomy 29. We're going to read a few verses in, in chapter 29, and then we're going to read several verses in chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 29, starting in verse 2. Deuteronomy 29.2 says, And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. Okay, now just a quick aside. Do you see here how God, as God speaks to them, as they were hearing God's word, as they were hearing God's word through Moses, that they are being told to remember what your eyes have seen. This isn't just what you've heard, but this is what you have seen done in your midst. Seeing and hearing and understanding. Okay, so verse 4. 
But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. The reason I'm pointing these verses out is because I want it to be clear that when we're talking about giving the message of salvation, of proclaiming the gospel to people nowadays, to our fellow man, to our neighbors, to the people that we work with, to the people that we are building relationships with, it's important that we understand that it is not us, that we have no power in and of ourselves to be able to change someone's heart. There is no argument that I can give that can clearly and definitively change someone's mind. In order for someone to become a Christian, in order for someone to be able to know and understand God truly, this is a work that God does in their hearts. This is a work that God does, and this is why we pray, because I can't do this work on my own. I am told to go and to be obedient and to do this work of proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ, but I can't change people's hearts. I can't make them believe. God is the one who gives a heart of understanding. And as we see clearly from the Old Testament, God is the one who has to give that heart of understanding. But before we grow complacent and say, well, you know, there's nothing that I can do to really change someone's heart, so why should I really work that hard to try and convince somebody, or, or why should I keep proclaiming the message, or I've proclaimed this message and I haven't seen much fruit from it. I, don't, I haven't seen much happen from it. And if I'm not responsible for making something happen, then, then how diligent am I going to be about making sure that I work hard at this, that I obey this to the fullest extent that I possibly can? We can grow weary in doing good. We can grow tired, we can even initially think, is God really going to use me? Is God really going to do something? And that's why I want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. So look at Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 30, and we're going to read verses 11 through 20, so the second half of Deuteronomy 30. And I, I want you, as we read this, to see how this word is near us how God is seeking to do something and that He is able and willing and desiring in and of Himself to accomplish the things that we cannot as humans, that His Spirit is active in our lives, in our hearts, and in the lives and hearts of other people, stirring them, bringing them into an understanding of who He is and this message of salvation that we now have as Christians. So Deuteronomy chapter 30, starting in verse 11. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. So as we continue reading, Notice that he's not necessarily talking about those who have not heard God, who do not have a relationship with God, who are not put as God's people. He's, he's mainly referring to God's people. And, and so just, just think in your minds of how the book of Hebrews is written to Christians. And, and this Deuteronomy 29 and 30 
Moses is speaking to God's people. And so when he says you can obey and you should obey, he's saying that you can do it because God is near you. God is with you. God has not forsaken you. God's not asked you to do something that you can't do. Let's keep reading verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you will surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice and holding fast to Him. For He is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. When you look at what happened in the Old Testament, and we mentioned this last week, that oftentimes it's easy to see all of the negative things that have happened in the Old Testament. All of the ways that God brought destruction and despair to people. It's easy just to focus on that without actually going back before then and seeing how God had provided so much blessing to His people, so much blessing to this world. And so we need to see that God is a gracious and merciful God, that He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, that He cares for us, that this is who God is, but that God will bring about what He says He'll do. And the problem, so to speak, is that we are prone to do what we're not supposed to do. We're prone to not do what we are supposed to do. As God's people, it's easy for us to not obey. It shouldn't be easy, but as people in general, we have a nature that we are still fighting that says, love yourself, do what feels right. If it feels okay, then it must be okay. We have this nature that continues to fight in our hearts for control of our hearts and our minds. But God is near. His word is near to us. God's word is true. And one of the ways that we can know that God's word is true is because God in His just judgment, in His keeping of His word, when He said, if you don't obey, there's going to be consequences. What happens is the people of God did not obey, and so there were consequences. And that's how we can know that God's word is trustworthy. And not just because he brought consequences, but because he brought Jesus Christ who he said he would bring. So it's not just that God is true because he brought calamity upon those he said he would bring calamity upon but it's because He brought grace to those He said He would bring grace to. The message declared 
by angels. The message declared in the Old Testament to these people that this letter is being written to, to us today, having this letter and having the whole of Scripture to look at, we can see how God has worked in history to bring about what He said He would bring about. That His Word is true. The Word we have now is even more sure. And so how are we going to escape discipline if we turn away from obedience to the gospel, if we turn away from obedience to this good news of salvation? Verse 3 in our text in Hebrews chapter 2, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Remember, he is talking to Christians. And he is not saying, and this is a common thing in Hebrews, there are lots of warning passages in Hebrews. And there are warnings to Christians because this book is written to Christians. And so when we read this, we must understand it in light of the fact that he is talking to Christians. And we must understand it in light of the fact that if God has saved someone, he will keep that person. You cannot lose your salvation. So before we go any further in the book of Hebrews, we need to make it explicitly clear that Christians cannot lose their salvation. But Christians are at the mercy of God if they disobey to feel, to experience the discipline of the Lord. Just look at Hebrews chapter 12 later on and see that God disciplines us as sons because He loves us. You know, as a parent... You know, kids might not agree with this oftentimes, right? And, you know, when, when you had younger kids, maybe they didn't always agree with it. But it's not pleasant to discipline your children negatively. It's not a pleasant thing, right? I mean, I don't take any, you know, like, oh, man, I'm feeling good about myself because my kid disobeyed and I got to spank him. You know, that makes me feel great. Right? It's just not, I mean, you've got to be, you know, a different level of messed up to... To enjoy that. That's not something that, that parents enjoy, that they should enjoy. But they do it for the good of the son. They do it for the good of the daughter so that they would learn. So they would understand that what we have to say to them is important. And that it means something. That we expect them to act in a certain way. It's the same thing that God has told us of himself as his sons and daughters, as we see further on in, in chapter 2 here in our text. That God disciplines us because He loves us. And so when He tells us to do something and we don't do it, He's going to discipline us. When God tells us not to do something and we do it, He's going to discipline us. And vice versa. So, We have, we have to realize that though we cannot lose our salvation, there stands before us the opportunity to know and to experience God's blessing through our obedience, or there's the opportunity to not experience God's blessing, to experience His corrective discipline upon our disobedience. 
And one of the things we're going to look at next week is how amazing it is that we can trust God fully, that He really does care about us, and that this life that we live is difficult because things seem to be off. Things seem to be where God says, I'm in control, but what's happening around us seems more chaotic than that. And we say to ourselves, if God was really in control, why are all of these things happening? And we're going to talk about that some next week, just as a a little bit of a teaser. And so I understand, I understand that, that these truths are difficult to sometimes want to believe. And that's why it's so important that we as a church, that I as a pastor, constantly point us back to God's Word. Because what God said would happen has happened. We can trust Him. We can trust His Word. And the other way that we can know that from our text, the second half of verse 3 and end of verse 4, it was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. It's not only in that God brought about the judgment that He said He would, the corrective discipline that He said He would, but it's also reliable and trustworthy because God didn't just speak His word, but He acted in such ways that we could only be able to say, God did this. And the way that we are able to see that God did this is because they are supernatural occurrences, things that don't naturally happen. And that's where you have that list in verse 4. While God also bore witness, not just by what we've already seen in chapter 1 and what we've already looked at in the first couple verses of chapter 2, not just by what was spoken, but also by what we've been able to see. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will, God bore witness. God said, these things are true, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow you to see these actions in your day right now to be able to know that this word is true. And it's not because I'm going to bring about judgment that I said I was going to bring about. It's because I'm going to show you that through the work of the apostles, all of these gifts and all of these miracles are going to happen to complement this truth that has been spoken. What you have seen is attested by more things that you've been able to see, even apart from that, years later, in different places and at different times. God has spoken and God has done a work. And an interesting thing just about this verse 4, I found it interesting as I was reading this week. Sometimes we want to think, God, would you just show up in a miraculous way in my life? We want God to do something extra special to show that we can really trust Him. And oftentimes, the problem that comes along with that desire is that we 
push down the importance of His Word that He has given to us. The fact that this Word has been preserved for us thousands of years, that we can have it and know it, that we can see, that we can read all of these things that God has done. But we want God to do something else. Prove yourself, God, right now in this moment. And what I think is interesting about what he declares, this author of this book, of this letter, in verse 4, is, is what he doesn't include. Because what he says is, while God also bore witness, what he did not say is that God continues to bear witness in your midst by these signs and wonders and miracles and various gifts of the Spirit. I find it interesting that he does not say that he did bear witness by signs and miracles and gifts. And he does it again now, but he just says he, he did these things. All of these miracles were done by the apostles. See, they were receiving the word that they could trust because supernatural events accompanied them to verify and, valid, and validate the authenticity of the message. They... It was a coupling initially so that people would be able to know for sure upon its initiation that this word was true. And God, God still works in supernatural ways. Don't get me wrong. But the thing that is always present and dependable and trustworthy and authoritative and sufficient is God's word. God's Word is sufficient in order for us to be able to see and hear and understand the gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, became a man, was fully human, lived a perfect and sinless life, died as a perfect sacrifice, a substitute in my place to pay the penalty of my disobedience, and that He physically rose from the dead, that He ascended into heaven and will one day physically return. He paid my debt. Once and for all, so we're left to stand amazed at the depth of His love for us. And then we fall down in worship, coming as we are and submitting our whole life to Him. God doesn't have to continue to do specific miracles that we expect of Him in order for us to be able to know that His Word is trustworthy and that His message is true. We have His Word and the question for us is whether or not we truly believe that word. We've been able to see and hear, and the question left for us is whether or not we even have a desire to truly understand that. Because with that understanding, will inevitably bring about obedience. And so perhaps the thing that is keeping you from being able to see and hear properly to the point of understanding is the fact that you don't really want to obey. I know it's true in my own heart, in my own life. I, I, don't want to, I don't want to admit that these things are true because then that means something for me right now. God has put a calling on my life. God has put a calling on your life to obey the gospel, to be connected to other Christians, through your relationship with Christ so that you would be on mission, so that you would live to further His kingdom by living like a citizen of His kingdom 
and by proclaiming the truth of the message of the kingdom of God. We have this opportunity and this expectation. Know that there is a waiting for us corrective discipline if we neglect such a great salvation. But also know that God is with us and that just the fact of God's presence should bring us such an idea of blessing and of comfort that we can live just in knowing that. That as Christians, we have been given His Spirit to live within us, to abide with us, to teach us, so that we can know that His message is true, that He is trustworthy, that His blessing and His rule are truly good, that His way is truly right. that His ways are higher than our ways, that His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and that what is best for us is living in light of that understanding. So do you understand that today? Have you understood it? And do you continue to live in that understanding? Let's pray. God, we thank You for your word and the challenge that we have. The challenge that was given to the recipients of this letter, even this early on in the letter. The challenge that we have now as your people to consider whether or not we really want to live under your rule. So whether we really want to obey. I pray that you would help us to understand because only through your spirit can we have true and proper understanding. And so, God, we pray. Help us to continue to pray. Help us to not stop, to not stop praying. That your spirit would do a work that only you can do. That you would change our hearts. That you would change our thoughts that you would help us to know that you are trustworthy, that you are dependable, that your word does expect obedience, and that obedience is good and right, that it does bring with it blessing and honor. And though we may not see that blessing and honor in this life fully, God, help us to know that this word is true and sure, and that you will reward us, if not in this life, in the life to come. And so help us to have minds that don't just look at the here and now, but look forward to what is to come. Help us to be people who live in the reality of your love and in the expectation of the final fulfillment of your word to trust you, God. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.